0: What a beautiful morning, with the frost and everything. So we're starting a new uh, topic, lesson nine. will be. Initially I had planned two parts for it, and then I started my preparation. I said, well, I don't think we can do this in two lessons, so we'll do in three. Um, so last year I started a... Uh, Specialization on uh, counseling people with addictions through ACBC, and um, you know, I got so busy, I didn't realize that boy, it's almost a year now, and I haven't completed yet. <laughs> but uh, that is it's such an encouraging training, and for me, you know, I I I think I say this every time. Oh, this is one of my favorite topics. <laughs> um, It does have a particular interest because um, I I lived through it, not personally, wasn't addicted to any substance, but it was part of my family growing up, um, either seeing it in my my brother, my middle brother, and then kind of the consequences in my father that I never saw um, under uh, influence of anything (laughs) at that point. But the outcome of it and how false doctrine have really infiltrated this this area. So my dad was, you know, he stopped drinking, he was an alcoholic, and he stopped drinking prior to me being born. So the year I was born, it was the year that my dad stopped drinking. That was a blessing. Never got to see my dad drunk. Um but I got to hear all the stories, and you know the the how much twelve steps program have pushed him further and further away from the truth. So, that in that with that said, I would say this is one of the most um, endearing topics to me because I, I see it. Um, you know there was a past here. There's um, people that I go to counsel that have been i for lack of better words brainwashed in understanding this um, the topic of addictions, um, you know different things like one of them is sex addiction, and we're going to have a whole uh, different lesson on on sexual sins, and I will tell you what the world teaches and has really infiltrated and and the thing is because they show you with such a scientific um, cover, you're like, Wow, this is a brain disease. Look at those PET scans. Look at it this is pretty amazing. And you 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 buy into it. And, and it's all false science. We're gonna I even printed to you an article from a doctor from a medical journal here. So we can read it that the the medical community is very divided on this, and there, you know, things that like boy, a non-believer saying these things. If they are saying these things, I think we as a church should most assuredly be stating things as they are. Okay, so let's ask for the Lord's help on this, and I think. Um, you will hear this in your conversations at work, you will um, have to deal with family members, so we we need to have answers. Dear Heavenly Father, we are thankful for your word that is true, that is faithful to us um, in teaching and giving direction for every problem that we face in this life. Lord, we're thankful for the gospel of Jesus Christ that bring redemption to man, bring life to deadly uh, spiritual people they are spiritually dead, and to sinners such as us, Lord, that we were enslaved to sin, but now we're freeing Christ to live in freedom um, in the Spirit. I pray, Father, that you would bless our discussion here May be encouraging to some, may be challenging to some to think through some of these um, things, and 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 for us to make a stance on your word. Pray that you bless our time in Jesus' name, Amen. So I start saying here that the church needs to reach uh, the world and make disciples, and I think this is one of the areas where um, you know the world sees that there is a need, and And you will see many times people going to churches trying to find help and hope because they have tried this and this and that. I remember a guy that he's gone through, uh, I don't know how many programs, but you name it, Salvation Army, you know, been um, in facilities uh, for drug addiction. And he grew up in the church, um, coming coming to counseling, and he came under the influence, his first meeting, I'm like, what are you talking about? It, you know, all this combobulated conversation. I couldn't tell what he was going with it, and then later were able to meet with him or when he was sober. But it, it is hard. And I had a lot of people that got intimidated by the topic. Um, I had a pastor in this church, and he's a, a great person. I love him. <laughs> I think I just said, you know, he, he said, well, maybe he should go to a meeting for the Alcoholics Anonymous Uh, you know just for the camaraderie i'm like no absolutely not that's just going to push him further and further away from the gospel because i know what it what it does um are there benefits sure but the amount of error that is in there you know and i'm going to save this for (laughs) next week but um we're called to make disciples you know i we had a couple of guys attending our church here from facility in Blaine, and I don't know. We, we've been thinking about um, kind of some sort of outreach. We um, haven't seen the guys. Maybe they'll show up to church again here, and I think we have an outlet to to say, you know, we have we have truth and hope for you. That um, they know that most of these programs they they help, but it's not. It's not. Um, a full transformation. You know, it's it's a res, re, uh, restoration. It is a um, really treatments that don't give a hope that lasts. We have allowed the world to infiltrate and define addiction like they hold the truth. That's the, the truth, plain and simple. Um, you know, recovery programs is one of the most Uh, taught doctrine in churches today regarding this. And and, and it is just the world with a Christian um, clothing. Um, Colossians chapter 2 verse 8. If you have your Bible there, I think it's a good one for us to start here. Colossians 2 and verse 8 says, situate that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the tradition of man and according to the elementary principles of the world rather than according to Christ. This is one of the areas where I think the church really has given into philosophy and empty deception to provide solution to man's problem. Man-centered ideas, Mark Shaw is the main, main guy uh, training people now in the biblical counseling world for um, dealing with addictions. He says, man-centered ideas focus focus upon pleasing men first. God-centered ideas focus upon pleasing God first. When, and then when that occurs, the secondary result is that man will find his pleasure in God. You know, it, you're just switching um, the categories of sin that they're pursuing. You know, they might even leave and abandon their quote-unquote addiction, but they'll replace that with something else. Um, So they really need the true lasting hope of the gospel, that focus on glorifying God, not on glorifying self, not having a better version of yourself, but having a new man created in Christ Jesus. And then um, we need the commitment and compassion that it takes for those that are in the way of distraction. Um, I want us to open our Bibles to Proverbs chapter 23. I think it's one of the texts that um, describes this plight of people struggling with addictions. In such a vivid way, And I, I, you know, I wanted to start with this text, even though we're not going to go much on the, um, the counseling part of it. Because it describes, and I, I want us to think, um, you know, addictions, there's so many types of addictions. I'm going to mention here. Um, you know, sexual addiction, internet addiction, gambling, all the forms that are not necessarily related to a substance abuse. Um, in verse, starting on verse 23, 22, um, there is a father instruct, instructing his son, and he says, so Proverbs 23, verse 22, listen to your father who begot you, and do not despise your, despise your mother when she's old. Buy truth and do not sell it. Get wisdom and instruction and understanding. The father of the righteous will greatly rejoice, and he who uh, sears seer, a, a wise son will be glad with him. Let your mother, um, let your mother, let your father and mother be glad, and let her rejoice who gave birth to you. Am I reading that? Yes, I am. We're gonna get there. <laughs> Verse twenty-six. Give me your heart, my son, and let your eyes delight in my ways. And what really is happening in Proverbs is you know, a father trying to impart wisdom, to teach their, his children to, to fear the Lord, to heed the voice of the lady wisdom. And here's what he says. For a harlot is a deep pit, and an adulterous woman is a narrow well, Surely she lurks as a robber and increases the faithless among men. And then I just wanted to pay attention. Like he starts talking about sexual sin, and then he moves on in the same category. Like these things are in the same category as someone who is um, into uh, alcohol addiction, who has woe, who has sorrow, who has contentions, who has complaining who has wounds without cause, who has redness of eyes. I think just these few verses describe such the, the life of a, a, an addict, a person that has a lot of regret in their life, a lot of guilt, a lot of shame, that is constantly in conflicts with family members, with coworkers, is always complaining about life, who has wounds without cause, this this happened and I don't know why, why I have this broken relationship with my parents, why do I have this broken relationship with my spouse, who has redness of eyes, those who linger long over wine, those who go to taste mixed wine, and you know, the Bible doesn't really uh, describe necessarily uh, drugs. You will see that in the New Testament by using the word pharmaco, uh, what, where we take the word um, it, pharmaceuticals for drugs. Uh, but, but it really is about intoxication. Um, anything that impairs your judgment, anything that is um, addictive and intoxicating. That's, so even though it's talking about alcohol, it's kind of the paradigm what really happens in the life of someone that struggles with this thing. Do not look on the wine when it's red, when it sparkles in a cup, when, it's, when it goes down smoothly, Right, lure that lure that has to people. I mean, some, we're watching Super Bowl, whatever we're watching, you see, all, every now and then you see a, a, a commercial for beer. Right, and that's what they claim, right? It goes down smoothly. It's the appeal that Oh, it, it's something that is, is alluring. At the last it bites like a serpent, and it stings like a viper. Your eyes will see strange things, and your mind will utter perverse things. And there's the path of destruction, the consequences that it does. You will be like one who lies down in the middle of the sea, and a one who lies down on the top of a mast. They struck me, but I did not become ill, they bit me, but I did not know it. When shall I awake? I will seek another drink. It, it is a path that is it, just hopeless. When you know, you would think that the consequences they're facing would be enough to say, "I don't want to pursue this life anymore. This is destructive." But it's just for a moment, and it dulls their senses, and it's just gone. I, I won't pursue that. Well, actually. When I wake up, I'm gonna go and look for another one. So we need compassion and we need commitment to really save those from destruction by giving the gospel. Now, I wanted to start with the definitions from you know the secular world. We'll see the American Psychological Association. We'll get some from the National. Uh, trying to remember the name, the National Institute for on Drug Abuse. That one is major <laughs> and has, uh, you know, a lot of implications. Maybe I want to hear Dylan's thoughts on this, on political, um, uh, on policies for the government. Because now, if this is a disease, then is it something that you can treat? And then, can you get covered by insurance to get the medical treatment and to get the psychotherapy or whatever you need? So. Let's get uh, started with their definitions. Um, addiction. It's a state or of psychological or physical dependence, or both, on the use of alcohol and other drugs. The term is often used as an equivalent term for substance dependence and sometimes applied to behavioral disorders, such as sexual, internet, or gambling addictions. A chemical substance with significant potential for producing dependence is called an addictive drug. An addict, then, is a person who has developed a substance dependence or addiction. And the term is also used colloquially to refer to a person with compulsive behavior, such as persistent gambling. So you you realize that this term is broader than just the substance abuse. Addictive behavior. um, Their actions, often obsessive and destructive, they are related to one's abuse or dependence on a substance and that, is dominate, in, that dominate one's life. Um, addictive behaviors may include drug-seeking behavior, risk-taking, um, breaking laws in the course of a sustaining one's drug habit. You know, and sometimes y- you would have people that have a tendency to just want to steal things just for the thrill of not getting caught. So it's not just that the drug Abuse. Um, what is then an addictive drug? It's an any psychoactive substance that has high likelihood of producing substance dependence, such as including alcohol, amphetamines, amphetamine-like CNS stimulants, caffeine. Would you look at that? Um, I even put a little uh, chart here because we're, you know, we don't realize how we. It, we have habits, things that we, we, we go to for soothing and you know, we don't, so according to even the DSM-5, you know, the American Psychiatric Association, um, depending on how, much cu- how many cups of coffee you have and the, the withdrawal symptoms that you experience when you don't have coffee for a day, you might be an addict, so, it says here, it started with coffee, the little guy says. Soon came to energy drinks, then it moved to harder things. I don't know what he's doing there. It says, and then eventually tea. <laughs> so it really, it, 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 and I, I put it there because it could be anything. Anything that um, caused us to be dependent and, and our life to be um, drawn toward, you know, and I drink coffee, I don't, <laughs> I'm not here telling you that, uh, just, you know, but we, we should look out, I remember um, talking to guys in school, and, you know, I'm going to blame seminary for getting me in coffee, because I went through pharmacy school really hard, didn't drink coffee at all, and I got to seminary, and it was like, oh boy, and, and the Amer- Americans are like, you know, you drink coffee. You don't drink coffee like this. You drink coffee like this. <laughs> you know? It's just, uh, I, you know, I'm joking, but it's uh, truly, we should pay attention. You know, I, every then I would hear people saying, like, I just, I need coffee. <laughs> uh, you need Jesus. That's what you need. You don't, you, you know, it, your existence is not dependent on this. Um, so, it's good for us to make you know to have a heart check every once in a while, and then this language that they use to addictive personality you you hear that every now and then people using this, it's and they acknowledge this as only a hypothetical personality pattern. To increase the likelihood that a person will become dependent on one or more substance, research has not supported a, the existence of such personality, but has identified traits associated with substance abuse, such as impulsivity, behavioral under control, and characteristics associated with behavioral disinhibition. Some people have an inclination more to these things, and you know. The genetics studies that are done are just so biased, so manipulated. Um, All right, so we have the categories, um, and and they really trying to destigmatize. You know, the stigma is a big, big term that they keep bringing to this discussion. We don't want people to feel uncomfortable. You know, oh, you don't call them a drunk. Then they came up with alcoholic term, and then, well, that's too offensive. It's a substance dependence, you know? And so you would have all these acronyms, alcohol use disorder. So depending on how many symptoms the person has, they would be categorized as mild, moderate, or severe. So for two or three symptoms, it would be mild, moderate, four to five symptoms, and severe, six or more symptoms. So I'm gonna just read to you here the DSM on the substance-related disorders kind of a, some of the criteria that they use to um, put people on, this, um, on that diagnose with that label. So one, the major category that has four of the criteria is impaired control. So someone that takes substance in larger amounts or no longer than should. So it, you will see a lot of people that started treatment for pain, for instance. And they really are drawn to that now. They're, they keep going, or they want to take more. It expresses a desire to quit or reduce, but fails on multiple occasions. Uh, expen- spends a great deal of time obtaining, using, or recovering from use. And may use all their time to get it and to use it. There's a lot of planning that happens in the acquiring There is a craving, intense desire or urge to get the drug. It can be driven by being in the place where it has been used or with friends. It is a a cigarette or a cup of coffee. Um, Then the other three categories is socially impaired. Uh, People who have failing duties in school or at home at work continues to use despite social, personal problems that it causes, and then there's social, recreational, and work activities. They're giving up because of the use of the drug. It's a risky use. It uh, uses substance in physically hard, hazardous ways, um, continues to use despite knowing the physical and psychological damage that it's doing. And then there's these two pharmacological symptoms, which is the tolerance, um, someone needs to take an even ever-increasing amount of the substance to for the same result, and then the withdrawal. Significant, uncomfortable, and at times, life-threatening symptoms if substance is stopped. So even uh, for someone trying to quit, they need some guidance on that and sometimes medical attention to uh, deal with the withdrawal uh, symptoms. All right, so here's some of the diagnostic categories alcohol use disorder, AUD, Uh, cannabis use disorder, CAD, Um, phenocyclidine use disorder, PUD, and and you have all these UDs there. I'm not (laughs) going to read all of them, Um, but just so you have an idea of what is going I I wanted just to open to some questions and observations here at this point. I don't know if Dylan wants to speak on that, but it, it the major thing is if this is now considered a disorder, then how does the public system handles that? So, anyone, what are your thoughts on that? Um, you know, I know that here in the US is not a major thing because public system is not the norm. Um, but in my country, for instance, so you would have, uh, you know everyone has the right to health. So um, if you're having to make decisions where um, I'm having to invest in treatment for someone with heart disease and someone that has a addiction, which is considered a chronic disease as well, just as heart condi- as a heart condition. We're going to read some of their statements here. And they're put in the same level. Yeah. yeah. And I think even even on a taxpayer, you know you think about even if you 're not paying insurance in your comp- company that they're taking to account those things, um, those social programs that cover those things it's like, well I'm paying for this treatment, and it does it work, and that's the major thing we're going to see here even on their website so the, the data that I brought here are from the National Institute for on, on Drug Use, so you see that there's the you know, the results that you get from that treatment, and it's not very helpful, yep. hmm mm-hmm. I, I, I full-on agree with you with the inconsistencies, is that um, <laughs> even the, 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 the director of the National Institute on Drug Abuse, um, she has a lecture, I'm gonna send a link for you to see it, and it's just cringeworthy, um, and he, she titled it as a, a disease of the free will, I'm like, well, so you're saying that people has the free will to choose. So it's something that you choose, and yet you're saying that it's something that you're a victim, that you can't help it, that you need medical treatment. I just, you know. So, Dylan, any thoughts to to add to that? So, all good thoughts, Dylan. We we'll really dive into this this draw, you know, of the treatments that are offered. Uh, it, it is a replacement to what we, as a church, should do, and. You know, when I growing up, I do remember some of those um, affirmations. You know that the church um, just—it's moralizing. It, it just, you know, shuns shun these people away. Um, that you don't belong here. No, you belong here. This is a place for people in need of forgiveness, of salvation, of restoration, of transformation—spiritual transformation. Spiritual transformation. Um, so I. I do want to make a point for us to have compassion. People are struggling. I mean, uh, it, if I, I, I just imagine, if the government <laughs> is getting involved with this, you know, there is a reason for it. Um, we know that there is a, a, the, the evil system that Satan is behind where he wants to relabel things and render people hopeless or take their personal responsibility for that. But yet, I, you know, they are struggling. They are in need of help. And we just need to, to give the right answer. All right, so let me continue here. Then we'll, we'll have plenty of time to <laughs> discuss more later. Uh, the medical model of addiction. This is where I really want to focus today because everything else will stem from that. You know, the, the trial step program treatment, the recovery, they're all based on the medical model of addiction. So, according to American Society of Addiction Medicine, addiction is a treatable chronic medical disease involving complex interactions among the brain circuits. Okay, so keep that word there because uh, it's the 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 lady. What's her name? Nora. Nora something. That's she's the president of the, the director of the um, National Institute of. N- on drug abuse, and she used this language a lot, brain circuits, genetics, and the environment. An individual's life experience. People with addiction use substance or engage in um, behaviors that become compulsive and often continue to despite harmful consequences. Prevention efforts and treatment approaches for addiction are generally successful as those of other chronic diseases. Now, it is a chronic medical Disease. That's what they're, the the language that they're using. So, addiction, this is, I'm quoting them, it's, it's a lot like other diseases such as heart disease. Both disrupt the normal and healthy functioning of an organ in the body. Both have serious harmful effects, and both are, in many cases, preventable and treatable. If left untreated, they can last for a lifetime and may lead to death. Um, For the brain, the difference between normal and drug rewards can be likened to the difference between someone whispering into your ear or someone shouting into a microphone. So I have, I think I'll go to the presentation the guys have over there. Um, Some of what they have there with the brain scans. Um, And I give you in the... um, in your notes, you will see something like, let me see here. Let me see the number of these slides so I can tell them. It's number 18. So the number 18 there. Um, that one says so for the brain, the difference between normal rewards and drug rewards can be likened to the difference between someone who is re- spraying your ear and someone shouting in a microphone. So, whenever we are eating food or something that is pleasurable, the levels of dopamine on your brain, t- between your brain cells, have normal levels there. But then, when you have a drug that connects to that, those, those uh, neuro, uh, neuroreceptors, the dop- dop- dopamine transporters, we have an increased amount of dopamine that just makes that highly pleasurable and it's what what she's comparing here is like when you're whispering in someone's ears and now imagine this with a megaphone. That's what the experience that the dopamine releases in the body. So, and it says the long-term drug use impairs the brain functioning. That's what the National Institute says. it is a chronic medical illness, it's compulsive behavior uh, of pleasure and comfort, dependence and tolerance, we talked about that already. Um, and then it's caused, and I think this is a little bit earlier on slide 18, eight. Let me see, yeah. It's number eight. You see where it says the causes there? So the major categories is biology and the environment biology is your genetics that makes you predisposed to, to this more than not, uh, gender, um, males are more disposed to that, and certain mental disorders, which I actually thought it was interesting that they put in there such depression, anxiety, people that have already mental disorders, they'll be more prone to, to pursue an, an addiction. than environment that involves you know, the chaotic home or abuse that people had in their upbringing, parents use, or attitude, peers, influences, uh, community attitudes, low academic uh, achievement. So are all those things present? Absolutely. From a biblical standpoint, they're influencing factors, they're pressures, but they are not causes. Um, it is treatable, but not curable, so a slide um, let me see here yeah hmm yeah, so if you have all those things, um, you know you you will get there. That's the result that you will have um, when you have in contact, so basically. It's you already have all these factors, but then you get exposed to it, and bam, it gets manifested. Um, so uh, it is number 22 I think this is the last one I wanted to show um, is is addiction something that is treatable? and so that's where the brain scans come in that oh man, this just boils my blood when I hear. <laughs> I <laughs> see this, these things. Because you can, ma- you, you can read this in a minute, anything. So they're saying that these images showing the density of dopamine transporters in the brain that illustrated the brain's remarkable ability to recover. So this is the initial brain there on the left um, before you know, a healthy person with one month of abstinence of a meth user and then 14 months of abstinence. They almost uh, fully recover. Um, that's where things get really dicey here because they say it's a treatable disorder, disorder, but like a disorder that um, is chronic, you can only have um, ways of managing it, but never fully curing it. Now, from the medical standpoint, and I'm done with the slides now, From the medical standpoint, this is very controversial because the medical community is divided on this. They don't think um, that this is, you know, a matter of, obviously they understand it's a matter of public safety, that there are things involved here, but you cannot justify by calling it a disease. Medically, you have a definition of what a disease is. So authors Hall, Carter, and Forlini, I didn't give you the article you have to pay for it, I didn't have it. So refute the basis of NIDA, the National Institute of Drug Abuse and Brain Disease model, arguing that it is not supported by animal or neuroimaging evidence to the extent it advocates suggest. So that brain can I mean, you can do with anything, do with, with caffeine, do with seeing your parents um, every day and seeing your family for, you know, a whole 10 years, there's some areas that it's really impacted in your brain, but now you saw them again, and you have been restored to a good relationship, and now look what happened. Your brain scans are back to normal. Your disease is handled. Those uh, neuroimaging evidence, it does not uh, confirm it has not helped to deliver more effective treatments for addiction, and its effect on public policies toward drugs and people with addiction have been modest. I, I didn't show there, but they show the rates of success and the rates of relapse for people that do seek medical treatment. Uh, obviously, there are drugs that try to block, you know, either to kind of counter the withdrawal symptoms, and some of them are meant to kind of wean you out of the drug the amount of relapse is at least 60% people that relapse, and I think it's probably more than that. Um, Neuroscientist Mark Lewis, psychologist and former addict, insists that the illness model for addiction is not only wrong, but dangerous. Uh, In his book, uh, The Biology of Desire, Why Addiction is Not a Disease, Dr. Lewis debunks the disease model of addiction, arguing that it fails to account for the plasticity of the human brain. In other words, um, actually I got, so The disease theory, this is Dr. Lewis um, in his book. There's actually a YouTube video that I really wanna watch, it's like an hour long, that he explains the whole, this whole thing. Um, he says, the disease theory and science, the science sometimes used to support it fail to take into account the plasticity of the human brain. Of course the brain changes with addiction, he writes. But the way it changes had to do with learning and development, not a disease. It's a learned behavior. In the same way that you can learn a bad behavior, you can also learn a good behavior. All significant and repeated experiences change the brain. Adaptability and habit are the brain's secret weapons. The changes wrought by addiction are not, however, permanent. And while they are dangerous, they are not abnormal. Through a combination of difficult emotional history, bad luck, and the ordinary operations of the brain itself, an addict is someone whose brain has been transformed, but also someone who can be pushed further along the road toward healthy development. And then interesting, this guy, and I don't know, I'm probably not a believer, says he doesn't like the term recovery because it implies a return to the addict's states before the addiction took hold. So if if they're coming back to where they were, um, was that normal to begin with? If they're saying that there is a genetic predisposition, can you really get back to that uh, normal? And then what I did here, I just photocopied, you see it's on a separate sheet, an article. um, So this Canadian Medical Association and its uh, licensors, it's a... Journal, medical journal, and they have published previously an article. Um, there was addiction is a disease, we must change our attitude toward addicts. And you know, I forget for this whole thing of the stigma and of uh, different things implied. Um, and well, you know, it's not really compassionate actually taking the care, the medical care that people need, if you don't say that as a disease. So there was a response of uh, Tim Holden, uh, psych- psychiatrist and assistant professor at Queen's University Medical School. And he's saying that the, the statement published in this journal editorial that addiction is a disease is not supported by evidence and reads more like a political policy statement than a reasoned intellectual argument. There has been a steady erosion of individual responsibility. So pay attention. This, this is the second person saying, there is, they're just removing the personal responsibility and loss of any concept of personal blame for bad choices. To quote Phil, uh, the comedian Flip um, Wilson, he says, it's not my fault, the devil made me do it. Right? it. From a secular standpoint, they're saying, well, my brain made me do it, whatever else made me do it, it wasn't me. Cause to destigmatize addiction, remove any sense of personal responsibility Addiction does not meet the criteria specified for a core disease entity, namely the presence of a primary measurable deviation from physiologic to anatomical norm. This is the definition of a disease. You, you were able to look physiologically in the body that there was a change, and, um, and there is a, 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 a norm for it. Addiction is self-acquired, It is not transmissible, it's not contagious, it's not autoimmune, it's not hereditary, it's not degenerative or traumatic. Treatment consists of little more than stopping the given behavior. Just abstinence would uh, bring the person back to normal, as you even saw on those brain scans. True diseases worsen if if left untreated. A patient with cancer is not cured if locked in a cell, whereas an alcoholic is automatically cured. No access to alcohol means no alcoholism. A person with schizophrenia will not remit if uh, secluded. Sepsis will spread and Parkinson's disease will worsen if left untreated. Criminal courts do not hand down verdicts of not guilty by virtue of mental illness to drunk drivers who kill pedestrians. It's a very good point here. Uh, why is that that they, they don't do that? They don't exempt them from guilt if, if they're If this is a disease and they're not to blame, why then we wouldn't hold them accountable? At best, addiction is a maladaptive response to an underlying condition, such as depression or an unspecific inability to cope with the world. Now, given this is a psychologist, the whole maladaptive thing is their lingual. Um, They study on the neurobiology of addiction, referred to in the CMA, AJ editorial looked at the brains of people with addiction after they had damaged them by their behavior. Brains were not examined if their pre pre-morbid, premorbid state, you know, they're comparing different brains of different people. A normal person had never been exposed, they're not comparing to what their brain was prior to that addiction. This is analogous to saying that uh, the, the sequelae of a traumatic brain injury who were themselves the cause of said brain brain injury. Ironically, the title of the referred article uses the term disorders, not diseases. Medicalizing addiction has not led it to any management advances at the individual level. The need for helping or treating people with addictions is not in doubt, but a social problem requires social interventions. So why did I put that there? Because I, I want you to see that even from a medical standpoint, this is not even close to you know, a, a real medical disease. Biblically speaking, I'm going to run through this real quick. What then does the Bible say about it? Addiction is bondage to role of a substance, activity, or state of mind, which then becomes the center of life, defending itself from truth so that even bad consequences don't bring repentance and leading to further estrangement from God. It is a spiritual problem caused by the desires of the flesh. The scriptures refer to this kind of addictive behavior as bondage or enslavement. The Apostle Peter offers a clear definition in 2 Peter 2.19. It says, although these false teachers uh, promise freedom, they themselves are enslaved to immorality. But whatever a person succumbs to, to that, they're enslaved. Now, why this concept of enslavement is hopeful? Because if you're a slave, you can become free, totally free. it's, It's something that there is a return, there is hope. I don't have to go back. That's why Paul can say, such were some of you drunks and homosexuals, and this and that, and you don't, you're not that anymore. God has saved you and changed you. Furthermore, the term addiction from the, Latin, from the Latin addictus, which means assigned or surrendered, and the genuine Christian has not surrendered to this sinful bondage. The idea of addiction carries a medical etiology, and therefore medical prescription for it. Along with that, medical and demonic solutions to habitual sins assume a certain unnecessary victimization on the part of a person they're trying to help. A victim is helpless. They can't do a thing about their problem. With have uh, people, counselees, to think in biblical terms about their sins as slaves. They can hope that in Christ they can find true freedom. This continuous surrender to sinful flesh produces more enslavement and destruction. I think it's helpful for us to look at Romans um, as the paradigm. We we read in the beginning Proverbs and you kind of saw a little bit of that progression. Romans. And the whole thing is that one, they're worshiping the creation instead of worshiping the creator. And in that pursuit, they're suppressing the truth. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Why is that? That even when bad consequences come, they still reason against logic. It's the suppression of truth. Because that which is known about God is evident within them. For God made evident to them. For since creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power in nature... Uh, having clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. Even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God and gave him thanks, but they became futile in his speculations. Their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, they exchanged the glory of an incorruptible God for the image in the form of a corruptible man. Enough birds and four four-footed animals and crawly creatures. Therefore God gave them over in their lust of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So uh, a clear way of thinking about uh, addiction is thinking about it as a worship disorder. It's a matter of worship. Whatever they're seeking the drug or the alcohol or whatever it is, or sex or gambling, the pleasure, the comfort, those are the true idols that they're worshiping. The gambling, the drugs, the alcohol, they're just the means to deliver what they're seeking. Seeking the control, have control of their lives. You know, people that even have eating disorders. They're trying to control their life by counting all the calories, all the things that they ingest. What is that? They're worshiping control. What does mean they're getting that? It's through that uh, behavior. So you'll see some of those graphics there that I put from um, Dr. Uh, Ed Welch's book, uh, Addictions, Banquet in the Grave. So no one can be perfected in the flesh. That's another passage here. Uh, remember that Paul wrote to the Galatians, Foolish Galatians, who has deceived you in such a way that now you want to be perfected in the flesh? We know that physical treatment, you know, to help with the withdrawal symptoms, helps the person just to get out of that state. But trying to be cured through medical treatment it doesn't last. So much so that relapse treatment is. Also, you know, a consequence of that. Putting your confidence in the flesh goes against uh, putting your confidence in the risen Christ to to deliver you. Christ Jesus is the only one who can truly give freedom from enslavement, according to Romans 8. And I conclude here with um, Dr. Sean's um, conclusion. Conclusion. We'll see this with more details, you know, the counseling part, how then we help with compassion. It is a very hard, you know, it's a habitual sin um, that takes time, you know. But um, if you eliminate the word compulsive from the worldly definition for addiction and replace it with habitual, then you can better use this word addiction. When you make this change, addiction is redefined as a persistent, habitual use of a substance known by the user to be harmful. Once one new definition is in place, addiction becomes a word more closely resembling of the life-devastating sin of drunkenness described in the Bible. The new definition of addiction also brings more hope to the suffering Christian addict. Because ungodly and destructive habits can be replaced by godly, Productive habits, there is hope. Real and lasting change can and will occur in your life. You know, I'm amazed by how science really proves scripture. And, you know, we don't look for science to prove scripture. But, I mean, I hear an unbeliever saying and talking about the plasticity of the brain, you know, that how they can relearn and be restructured. To do the right thing. Um, I wanted to close here with you know. Remember, I told you about my dad. I'm going to bring more of that next week when I talk about Travis Steps program and the Recovery uh, Celebrate uh, Recovery program. But um, so my brother, my middle brother, kind of followed in my dad's steps with you know this truck of habits of alcoholism. He would go drinking like on a Friday, and wouldn't see him until Monday had a child, uh, a woman that he lived with, um, that later on became his wife. And, um, you know, all my siblings heard the gospel. You know, my mom and I, we just shared and studied with them the Bible. And this one was like the black sheep of the family. And we joked with him because he was, you know, a little darker skin. But he was kind of the the rebellious child in our family. Um, And God saved him. You know, it was out of my siblings. Is the only one that got saved. I want. I I brought a picture because last last night um, he sent this to the family group, and I. You know, every week I see this kind of picture. He's the one on the left there um, in jeans and the black shirt. That says you know, black shirt with the that one right there. Yeah, that's Ricardo. That's my brother. He's um, he's part of our outreach team, and he's been saved for the past fifteen years you know, never went to any recovery clinic, never went to uh, um, psychotherapist treatment. And the moment that he was saved, I know for some people, it's not like that. Uh, So I I have to admit that they need an extra help. But the power of the gospel, and I look at my brother and my mom all excited, like, and he's counseling people too. And he's helping with a church plant and working with children's ministry. And You know, they do every Saturday afternoon. I mean, afternoons in Brazil are hot. My hometown is very hot, and they're going door-to-door evangelism every Saturday, bringing the gospel. Um, It just blows my mind, the the power of the gospel. Okay, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to worship you and, and praise you for the power of the gospel because we know that even in our midst, Some of us were drunk. Some of us were addicts. Were enslaved to the pleasures of this world. But you came to bring us hope, to bring us freedom in Christ. Lord, and you have entrusted us with this message of hope. Not just from the consequences of of sin in this world, but from eternal damnation. I want to pray, Father, that um, even as we continue our discussion um, in this topic in the coming weeks, uh, may we be emboldened and uh, more gracious toward those who struggle. May we find the confidence, that confidence in your word that is superior to any human knowledge to bring hope and help to those in need. But I, I praise you for the life of my brother and, and seeing what you have done in his life and what you can still do through his life by bringing others, uh, pointing others to Christ. We're thankful for all your goodness and kindness toward us. May you bless the rest of our uh, time of worship towards you. In Jesus' name, amen.